Hello, I'm Patrick Chavez, and you are listening to LA Theater Bites, and I'm here with director Jamie Robledo. He's the director of Mr. Burns, a post-electric play, now playing at the Sacred Fools Theater in Hollywood, and it's going until December 9th. It's been going for quite a while. It's actually started in October, and it's still running, and it was extended because it was so popular. Ovation recommended. So, so, so Jamie, tell me, tell me about this play. What, what's it about? What's the idea? Mr. Burns. Well, first of all, you should come see the show. You re- you you really really enjoy it, uh, and it, it'll it's it'll weird you out and blow your mind. Um, we sh- we might have some tickets left, so check out the website uh, at org. Uh, or you know what? Why don't you uh, offline let me know, and we'll see if we can fit you in. Uh, right. Get you a seat. So. <laughs> Mr. Burns, a post-electric play, is uh, this grand—it's—it's it's this grand opus about you know the need for for stories uh, as a means for com, you know uh, community after a post of, uh, after an apocalyptic event. So the play begins. In the round, uh, Sacred Fools, uh, at the Broadwater space, we've rechristened our space to be called the Broadwater, and it encompasses a bunch of smaller spaces, uh, four to be exact. And we have the luxury of setting each of the three acts of Mr. Burns into a separate theater. So you'll start the show... Uh, so Act One starts in the round, and it's a group of people um, trying to recall the Cape Fear episode of The Simpsons. And then you find out that things are not exactly what what it seems. They're actually survivors of a uh, of some sort of nuclear meltdown. We don't know how it started. We don't know who started it, if anyone started it. We don't know who worldwide it affects. We just know that these people that we have been with uh, telling the story of Cape Fear uh, from The Simpsons uh, barely know each other. And they're on some property, and they're all on the run. And so we learn about their world and what's been going on. Uh, act two, it, you move to another part of the to the other part of the complex, and you're in another theater. And this time, you follow uh, the exploits of this group of people seven years after the events of the first act. And they are actually a traveling troop of thespians, you know, like the old troop, the troubadours of, uh, of, of, uh, old, oldie times. Um, and they are, um, rehearsing a, the Cape fear episode of the Simpsons as they remember it. And uh, they they perform commercials and big dance numbers, and they're competing with other traveling troops for survival. Basically, that's how they feed themselves. And then the third act uh, is seventy five years after that, and there's been this uh, ga- this this game of uh, telephone as 
everything that they've talked about in the first two acts and all the themes and all of the all of the little details come together and what you see is the cape fear episode of the simpsons which has now become a an almost religious ceremony uh it's this pop rock uh operetta meets you know um uh british uh you know british music hall uh comedy musical comedy uh it's it's a really it's a bizarre take on on uh you know on on pop culture and the world we live in now because everything's a remix that's uh is a, that's a great podcast uh everything is a remix but everything in this show is a remix and uh it's great for people who love the simpsons who don't love the simpsons who love pop culture who love theater um and it, it's it's epic it's pretty epic it took me this long to kind of get into uh what the show is about and it you know it it is it's fun and unnerving and terrifying and funny and exhilarating and yeah you should all come see it so as the director, um, I'm, I'm first. I'm, I'm curious how how you became the director of this, but also um, I want to know were you a fan of The Simpsons before you became a director of this? Um, well, I, yes, I was a fan of The Simpsons. Uh, I had not. I have not watched The Simpsons uh, religiously. Uh, pardon, uh, pardon the pun there, but I hadn't watched it religiously in a in a long time because man, it's been going on for decades. So, uh, but uh, there was a good chunk of time where I watched it because they, they would play it, they would do the reruns, and I'd watch it every day. Um, and uh, I watched it every Sunday when it came out. Um, and I, so I, I, I'm very familiar with the Simpsons. I was very familiar with the whole world. And, um, a few years ago, a friend of mine sent me a script about this play called Mr. Burns, a post-electric play. Um, and, uh, I had, I had no idea what to make of it. I, but, uh, uh, it was really intriguing and something I wanted to maybe try and do. So um, I, it was just, it had just done a New York run and I wanted to see if I could get the rights for Sacred Fools because it was a perfect place uh, and the perfect group of people to do it with. And wait, how, wait, where did you actually hear about it? How did you hear about it? Like where did Jonas an email with the script and he uh. Here, you should read this, and uh, you might you might like it. And I did, I did like it. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, that was that was kind of the inciting incident of it all. And then um, I was in New York for, I guess, the New York Fringe a few years ago, and I met with Ann Washburn, uh, the playwright. Uh, of Mr. Burns and uh, I talked to her about uh, the show and, you know, we, we, we had some coffee by uh, in Brooklyn around where she lives by this. Um, it, it was such a, it was so surreal. It was in a community garden by a beehive in Brooklyn. And we we're talking <laughs> about 
you know, we're talking about Sacred Fools. We're talking about the play and the journey of the play and what, you know, what it's, you know, where it was at the time. It just finished the New York run. And uh, um, what she told me was that, you know, that, you know, they're trying that her, they, her management, whoever the powers that be were trying to get it into bigger theaters. And they were looking at that. Um, and they were doing a run at the Guthrie in uh, Minneapolis and ACT in San Francisco. And, um, and they wanted to see how that show performed in those large venues before deciding its future. And so I kind of walked away a little disappointed. Um, and then, uh, I moved on to other things. Um, and I cut to a, you know, a couple of years later, um, it turned out that we were given the rights to the show and, and yeah, it just kind of fell into my lap and, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, six months later, well, six, eight months later, I w- was rehearsing the show. All right. Well, it probably helped that you actually got to meet the the actual writer and creator. And that sounds amazing. Like, yeah, it sounds such a interesting place to meet someone near a, bee, near a beehive and, and stuff like that. And uh, what part she's, of the... He's so sweet. She's such yeah. a low-key person and yeah. just very smart and uh, just 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 a pleasure to talk to and you know there wasn't any kind of pretension and because right at that point Mr. Burns was the biggest thing off Broadway and she was just you know just a down-to-earth person you know and she talked to you about Sacred Fools so she had worked with Sacred Fools or knew something about Sacred Fools before in the past Uh, I don't know I really don't know what her exposure was but I guess when you are um you know, when, when people apply for the rights, they, you know, they, the writers know what theaters want in what markets want to do a show. So I guess when she heard that Mr. Burns was going to be done in Los Angeles in schools and, you know, I guess my name was associated in her mind with sacred fools. So that you're definitely going, doing something, different that you wouldn't see in a in a lot of place you've decided to do all these scenes in different locations in different parts is this a part of the original script or is this is this a director direct uh, a choice from you as the director i'm curious um this is not a part of the script uh that it is in um separate locations the play each of the acts takes place in a different location, but right. um, not, I think the vast majority of people who do the show uh, are not equipped to do what we uh, were able to do with Mr. Burns at the Broadwater. Um, and uh, the, the, uh, the space allowed for it. And um when, but even if, even if the space allows for something, it's yeah. still that doesn't mean you're going to do it. Like, what what in your mind is the director was like? This show can benefit from have, having it in more than one space. And what? How did that happen? And and uh, what do you think it brings? And what? Why? How does this improve the the story? 
Well, um, this was twofold. I think our artistic uh, directors thought, and our uh, the management, uh, the management. Uh, these are all <laughs> my friends, you know. Uh, right. You know the, the powers that be at Sacred Fools Theater Company at the Broadwater uh, thought it would be a really good opportunity to show off our stuff because we just moved into the building. Um, probably what a year or two ago year and a half ago um and uh you know we had these facilities and it was something unique in los angeles and this play is this would is a los angeles premiere and they thought that this that doing the show this way would fit uh you know kind of the mission of sacred fools but for me as a director um what appealed to me about doing it in this way was was about the evolution of uh, the story. Um, because as we move forward in time, you know, we change how we see these characters. We change how we see this world. Uh, you know, we we travel with them in these new environments. Um, we're you literally travel through. Uh, through time and space um, as you watch this play. And so the first act, you know, is, is all about just a group of people telling each other stories by, 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 you know, by firelight, which is the most primal original way of, of, of storytelling. It's the, you know, drawing uh, figures on, on, on the wall and caves and, and, this oral tradition beginning with, you know, I don't know, cavemen with grunts and, 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 and basic words. Uh, and so, so having this, the, the space where we can do uh, an act in the round where everyone literally is sitting uh, around uh, firelight um, and hearing a story being told uh and then moving to another space more industrial where this where it is more immersive uh but you get to still be a part because the the action is still happening all around you but it's being more formalized now it is more of a thrust and you are watching as as the form of storytelling evolves it's becoming more theater right and then the right. third is proscenium uh raised stage curtain you know uh we don't have electricity but we do have the you know we go back to the elements of of uh you know what what we did uh, back hundreds of years ago to light a stage, you know, using gas and, and candles. And uh, so it's funny, as we progress in time uh, in the play, we're actually devolving our method of storytelling, right? So that, you know, that is, that was something that really appealed to me. And putting the audience literally in that world really helped and um you know i 
other companies have done it before. Maybe a couple others have used three different spaces. Some people like start outside and then they move inside. Uh, but most people do it on a proscenium stage and they perform the first act. And then there's got to be a couple minutes where they're rearranging stuff and, and, and doing a whole changeover and then the second act. And so it kind of takes you out. And what we do is uh, you never leave the environment. You never leave the world of Mr. Burns uh, until intermission. And then well, you need that kind of reset, but you, but, but you do not, you're always thinking about what is going on and you are always in the world. And, uh, uh, and that is why, um, this was so this, this three spaces thing was so juicy for, for me as, as a director and as an artist and why it helped, uh, tell the story of Mr. Burns. Right. So like this story sounds so, it sounds so dramatic. It sounds so so layered and 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 interesting and thought and very thoughtful. But at the same time, it's all centered around this really kind of this comedy show that can kind of be very sophomoric and very silly and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's a that's a lot of things to cover. Um, like you have to not only do justice to that show, which is one of the longest running shows in history, mm -hmm. but also keep it serious. Um, is this show pretty serious or, 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 or is it a balancing act between the silliness of the Simpsons and something more serious or, or is Simpsons just a topic and it just happens to be in there? How did, how did you handle that as the director? Well, that balancing? there is, uh, there is that balance. Um, you know, there is a discussion in the show about, uh, you know, why, why we do art and the meaning of it and what is, you know, uh, if, if, uh, you know, the, there's a line that's like, you know, we get meaning for free. Meaning is everywhere, you know, and, and meaningless entertainment is really hard. Um, but the thing with the Simpsons is that it's, uh, it is. It was dead serious about the topics that uh, it chose to to land based and to skewer. And for a long time, when it first started, it was shocking. You know, uh, now it's become like a bunch of cameos and a bunch of famous people and like you know Homer's being silly. Uh, but you know, there the, the people were really really shocked about uh, the Simpsons and like you had you had president saying we want uh you know we want the what is it the we want america to be more like leave it to beaver and less like the simpsons i think that was uh george hw bush said that um and then he wound up being a, a character in the show which i find really funny the uh the thing about it is um the show really doesn't an incredible job of balancing terror and comedy and, you know, some really serious stuff. We're talking about the end of humanity and how we build, build up from there uh, and what we build it up with. And, uh, and the thing about uh, the Simpsons is it was chosen because everybody really know Most people know the Simpsons. They may, they, 
most people at least know who Bart Simpson is. Uh, right. So it's kind of this universal language we use. And when you what you find out in like the second act, what you find out later is that um, uh, there are other companies and they're doing the West Wing and they're doing Shakespeare. And there's probably, you know, there there's a group of people uh, doing episodes of, you know, probably uh, Cheers and 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 and, you know, uh the wonder years or something like that. Uh, so uh, I think the use of the Simpsons was the fastest way to kind of get a commonality. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, the Simpsons are, um, you know, they are the means to an end to tell this story. And it could be any one of them any one of those shows that we know and love and um but you know there there's something really great about turning the the spirited little the spirited little scamp of Bart Simpson and his and his whacked out family into a passion play by the end of two two and a half hours yeah oh, well i i have to agree with you i think simpsons uh is definitely one of uh, a culture as a cultural hold on everyone even people that haven't seen it it was um like i remember growing up um that was it was probably even more effective on me growing up it was that was one of the shows my mom was like patrick you can't watch the show like and she she told me she literally told me she said i'm not letting you watch the show because but she said and she said bart simpson she did she and i don't think my mom ever even watched the show but she didn't yeah. even have to watch the show. And I don't think my mom ever watched the show. And she said, I'm not letting you watch the show. She said, because Bart Simpson is a bad influence. And I don't want you watching. I don't want you watching Bart Simpson because he's a bad influence. I was like, wow. Right. I, I guess I, I really need to watch this show. He, how, how bad could this kid be? Uh, so I, I listened. No, I was a pretty good guy. I think I listened. So I didn't really watch Simpsons for a long time. I ended up watching it later in life. And um, I guess I could understand what she was saying. But, but, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it's that powerful that even my mom who would never watch the show ever, she knew so much about it enough to not make me not want to make me not see the, watch the show for years. That that's how powerful. It was. So yeah, it's the Simpsons. Uh, it's undeniable how powerful the Simpsons was. And it's, uh, in, in, uh, and in a, in a negative and a positive way, it was, it was, it's one of those shows that kind of, I think, Every almost everyone, unless you lived under a rock, has a story about or something about whether you saw it or you didn't see it. Like me, for a long time, I didn't see it, but I knew a lot about it. <laughs> There's an episode of The Simpsons where Bart calls himself, you know, this generation's Dennis the Menace, and I, you know, it's 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 that same template, you know, the little Hellion, the little Hellion kid that we all love, um, and and. You know, it's not unique in in our uh, you know in our day and age, just like it wasn't in you know my parents' day and age and their parents with uh, with the little rascals, right? Yeah. So, uh, it just it just and 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 that's the the great thing about the show is that it's that evolution. We have the we have the kind of template there 
uh, but it evolves. You know, they, they have different hairstyles, but, you know, that same kind of character ha- persists. So, um, so you know, uh, Mr. Burns persists, but he changes into something else. He's still Mr. Burns, uh, which oddly, he's actually supposed to be Sideshow Bob. Uh, but that gets dropped along the way. Um, but, uh, but, you know, Bart Simpson is still there and Lisa and Maggie and, and Marge and Homer, uh, and they're kind of echoes of what we remember. Um, and we, we had a long discussion with the cast saying you can't sound like your characters because they wouldn't know what the Simpsons sound like anymore. They know what they look like because there's drawings. There's still drawings, and there's still nice. magazines. Nice. Uh, and and yeah, and people, you know, people, people kind of remember, uh, but you still, but you don't know what they sound like. You haven't heard them in seventy-five years. Yeah. Good point. Re- very good point. Wow. Very interesting. Um, like. Well, well, I, well, I, I'm a reviewer, so I see quite a bit of plays, but I'm not going to say that I see enough plays to make a wide sweeping generalization. But what I will say from my experience, in like the last few, in the last few years, I would say I have been seeing a lot more sci-fi plays come out. More sci-fi in the like the let's say in like the I feel like in like the last year. Mm-hmm. A lot more sci-fi plays than I'd I have ever seen. Like in a short period of time, I was just like, I just I I I I felt like I was going through months where I was like watching maybe I saw like two or three sci-fi plays not in a row but very close to thing. And I'm like, wow, there is there seems to be, at least in my life, at least in my experience of watching plays, I'm running into a lot of sci-fi plays. And now I'm talking about another sci-fi play. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, while this might not be a real trend in the theater community. It just seems to be a coincidence with me in LA theater, and I'm wondering, um, is there a reason for that? Do you have any thoughts on um, this this influx of um, theater of uh, sci-fi in in theater? I think uh, I think it might. There's there's a couple of points to that. I think the first thing is uh, because of our choices in media and television and film. Uh, it's become science fiction is becoming more and more pervasive. So, you, you know, every, everything in the summer, every movie in the summer is about, uh, uh, you know, robots and superheroes and, and, uh, spaceships and Jedis. And, uh, so, you know, so that is, that has become, uh, the art from which theater artists draw, you know, they're not just, they're not just, uh, uh, you know, reading Shakespeare and then kind of setting it to their own lives or they're not just like, uh, you know, there's more than just long day's journey into the night, into night and the Greeks and, and Shakespeare and, and, you know, the Russians to draw, uh, and to create something of their own. It is, we have so much media and that media that is being, you know, kind of, that that that's kind of we're sopping up is uh, a lot of it is science fiction. I think another part of it too is uh, we our technology is getting better, and we you know the 
I know from my experience, and I've done a lot of I've I've done a lot of science fiction. I think this is the maybe the fifth science fiction play I've directed in Los Angeles. I I, I did a play about Astro Boy. I did a play, I did a uh, an adaptation of uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Astro Boy, the 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 Japanese anime Astro Boy, the early early one. Mm -hmm. That one. Oh, nice. Yeah, I did that a couple years ago. Um, I did. Uh, yeah, I did a play about a, uh, a killer video game called uh, Neighborhood Three: Requisition of Doom. Uh, and even and that was years ago. But the technology has become more compact, more inexpensive, uh, and and it's it, and it's a lot easier to tell these tales with cheaper, uh, more compact uh, technology. So uh, projection projecting is easier, and doing cool lighting is easier because we have LED technology, and 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 that that those instruments. Uh, are getting cheaper and cheaper. So we have more tools at our disposal. And I think the third uh, thing about science fiction on stage is that, you know, we use the future to make sense of the present. And uh, uh, there's so much going on in this world, uh, no matter what you believe, uh, there's so much happening that we need a, a whole new sandbox to kind of work out our stuff in, you know? Yeah, I definitely get that. That's um, definitely one of the things that um, I love so much about theater. It, it's, it is so present. It, it's, it's so in the place. It, you, when, when you go, you choose to go. You're there. You're you're literally in the place. It's finally you're you're you you're not looking at a screen. You're not you're not you're not looking at your phone or anything like that. The people are there. The actual people are there. You have, you're sitting next to someone else. You're experiencing it with people. And actually, first what I call you know what not what I call what anyone would call like firsthand knowledge. Firsthand, actually being there, actually talking to people, actually getting it from there, as opposed to Everything else that happens in this world these days, which comes from the internet, it's all it's all coming. You're you're getting you're getting it from that from that source, and you're getting it faster. But there's there's definitely something to be said about communication face to face. Mm -hmm. You see that person, you see you see the person that's telling you it. You see what's on their face. There's no miscommunication there. You can understand. There's there's no there's no like. Um, I mean. Just the simple idea of like sarcasm. I mean, try to be a sarcastic person and be on the internet. Sarcasm oh. doesn't work. On, sarcasm doesn't work on the internet. Oh, it's okay. a horrible. It's a it's a horrible situation. You're gonna if you're a sarcastic person and you're on the internet, you're gonna get in a lot of trouble. No one's picking it up. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Uh, as we sit here and we talk through the ether on uh, on a on a computer screen. Um, right, right. I'm, 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 I have no problem against it. I mean, it's also good, but there's also there's difficulties well, as well with it. That's yeah. the great thing. Another uh, really interesting thing about Mr. Burns is that it is science fiction, but uh, it it's it comes at it a different way. It rips it rips all technology out of the picture. 
Right. And there is no phones. There is no, you know, robots. There are no projections. There, there are no electric lights. Uh, and that's the, the design conceit of the show. So uh, there is nothing to do but for these people but to talk to each other face to face. There are no screens to look down at. Uh, there's only kind of looking up and, and looking outward and, and telling a story. Mr. Burns, a post-electric play by Ann Washburn is running two more weekends at the Broadwater, uh, presented by uh, uh, Sacred Fools Theater Company. And uh, so it's Friday and Saturday at 8 p.m. and Sunday at 7 p.m. And then next uh, next Friday and Saturday at 8 p.m.